Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day 11 of the 2024 Australian Open, our final day of quarterfinal play in both the men's and women's singles draws. Before I do, though, a quick announcement for all of you listeners. All of our Australian Open content will be housed on the Mini Break podcast moving forward. Now, it's not because we're going to slow down in our coverage of the year's first major. No, it's because we need this channel for other things happening in the tennis world. Coming up this weekend, the symbolic start to every college tennis season. The 2024 ITA kickoff weekend is upon us. We'll have coverage of that event, not only on Wednesday, Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time live shows on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, Breaking Down the Draws, which, by the way, for those of you unfamiliar with the college tennis world, we will see 15 of the best men's and women's teams in the country, host three other schools as each of them compete for a spot at the National Indoor Championships in February. Not only are we going to be treated to outstanding tennis, our Crack Rackets team is so fortunate to be able to provide coverage of so much of the action. We'll have broadcasts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday on both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well as on ESPN+. And I know a lot of you all Australian Open fans here in the United States, you might have planned on just downloading ESPN Plus for the month. Well, guess what? Our coverage is this weekend. That's in the month of January. It's happening during the day here in the United States, so it's before the Australian Open action gets underway, and it's on the same platform. I promise the energy, the enthusiasm, but above all else, the level of tennis will not disappoint. So again, All of our Australian Open coverage moving forward going to be housed on the Mini Break podcast feed. Now, those episodes are available not only wherever you listen to your podcast, but now on our YouTube channel moving forward, including my round of 16 recap and quarterfinal preview with our dear friend, lead editor for Tennis.com, David Kane. But just a quick public service announcement for all of you listeners who might be wondering, where did all of our Australian Open content on this podcast feed go? Why am I starting to see so much college tennis related content in my feed. It's because that is the production plan for us moving forward. We are so excited for the symbolic, again, ceremonial start to a new college tennis year. Excited to be covering so much of it. Hopefully you fans will tune in as well. It would mean a lot to us. Would love, love, love to see some pictures tweeted at Crack Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin, of you fans following at home. So that's my plea to all of you listeners and a plug for what we've got coming up here on the Great Shot podcast feed and, of course, what we've got coming up content-wise for all of you here at Crack Rackets as well. Of course, the year's first major is entering the business 
end of things. We've got the second day of quarterfinal action upon us. I want to preview all four of our matches here on today's show. And look, the headlines speak for themselves. I think certainly the headline matches on the day belong to the men's singles draw. You've got four top 10 players in action. A matchup between two top six guys in Carlos Alcaraz and Sasha Zverev. Alcaraz's first significant test of the year's first major. Of course, for Sasha Zverev, he's needed a couple of five-set victories just to get to this round. But look, we've seen Sasha Zverev beat Carlos Alcaraz in a major. Can't say that about a lot of players. So that's a fascinating matchup for us to get into. Medvedev versus Hercats. Obviously, Medvedev with the greater slam pedigree, excuse me, but Hoopy's been a top 10 guy since the start of Wimbledon. The numbers say that. The eye test says that. He can do things to make Medvedev uncomfortable. I am fascinated by that matchup. And then on the women's side, look, we're going to have a first-time slam, two, excuse me, first-time slam semifinalists and eventually a first-time slam finalist come out of this half of the draw as 23-year-old Diana Yastremska takes on 19-year-old Linda Naskova, 21-year-old Jung Chin Wen taking on 25-year-old Anna. Kalinskaya. Do those have the pedigree, the headline, the mainstream superstars that every casual tennis fan could get excited about? Many, maybe not, but I know listeners of you podcast will get excited for that match as David Kane so aptly put. This is an Alex Gruskin-centric draw. In this house at Crack Rackets, these are players we have talked about now for at least three months in the case of when I saw Kalinskaya win Midland back in October, but Chin Wen, Naskova, Yastremska, young prospects we have had an eye on for quite some time here at Crack Racket. So all of them now get to put their money where their mouth is, get to put uh, their show to the test as they are all going to compete in quarterfinal rounds on day 11. Again, I want to preview all of those matches, get you all as excited as I am for the day's play in Australia. So let's do that as we look at our four singles matches on the schedule. Let's start with what, in my opinion, is maybe my favorite matchup. Again, I've said this now a couple of days in a row. It speaks to the strength of this tournament where, and I've alluded to this now, I think this is the third podcast I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it one last time. Heading into this quarterfinal round on the men's side, it's the first time in the open era all six of the top six men's single seeds have reached the quarterfinal round of play. And this is a matchup between two of the six of them in second-seeded Carlos Alcaraz and sixth-seeded Sasha Zverev. I mean, again, by the way, our seventh and eighth guys, seventh is Hercots, 30-11 and 11 since the start of Wimbledon, Shanghai Masters finalist. The other guy, Taylor Fritz, made the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open to end last season. So back-to-back hardcore quarterfinals. If that doesn't say you're a top eight, top ten guy on this surface, nothing will. It's a great field. It's why I'm going to lead with these matches. And again, the Zverev-Alcaraz match in particular is one I'm fascinated by because there are only a handful of players in Carlos Alcaraz's career who have played him more than once and have a winning record against him. That list of players, Mikhail Immer, 2-0, recently retired, but hopefully we get the young Swedish player back and he's able to overcome whatever performance-enhancing misunderstandings there seem to be. We'll throw that one out. Here's the real list of players, the four others. He's 1-3 against Felix. Got a point worth noting. 1-2 against Rafa. 2-3 against Djokovic. And 3-4 and against Sasha Zverev. And look, I understand why Zverev facing 
significant allegations of domestic violence in that case being adjudicated in German court right now. Why that allegation alone would turn people off from wanting to watch this match. If you are fascinated by the tennis, this is one you just have to pay attention to because obviously you look for Carlos Alcaraz. You look for marketable stars over the next decade in tennis's future. Him and Iga are the two faces you think are probably going to carry us through this 2020s decade. The 20-year-old is ridiculous, 69-12 and 12 over his last 52 weeks. But, of course, through the first eight months of last season, he was flirting with a 90% win percentage. He's in his seventh quarterfinal at the majors in his career. Didn't play last year's Australian Open, though, so has made now the quarterfinals or further in the last five majors that he's played. Of course, you look for Alcaraz to get to this round. He's dropped just one set, 7-6 against Lorenzo Senego. Really, the only match he's been pushed at all. Fresh off of a 4-4 in love win over Miamir Kasmenovic, a retirement in the third set where he dropped just two games to Jerry Shung before that. So the 20-year-old is fresh as can be. And I mean, again, since the start of 2022, this is his ages 18 and a half to 19 and 19 and a half to 20 seasons. Since the start of 2022, Alcaraz 10 and 8 on hard courts against top 10 opponents. He has wins over Medvedev, Rude, FAA, Hercots, Tsitsipas. The only thing he's missing is a win over Djokovic, but obviously played that thrilling three-setter against him in Cincinnati. I mean, again... Sasha Zverev is over six foot four, so it feels worth noting. What is Alcaraz's record versus similar players? Alcaraz in his career at in ATP matches, twenty-eight and nine against players over six foot four. Fourteen and five at the hard court level. Three of his losses to Zverev, the other losses, Medvedev and Berrettini. For what it's worth, two of those five losses did come at majors. The big thing Alcaraz though has going for him. Obviously, other than the failing head-to-head, which, again, a reminder, that head-to-head between Zverev uh, and Alcaraz, 4-3, Sasha Zverev leads. Alcaraz beat him so convincingly in the U.S. Open quarterfinals last year, a 3-2-4 win that saw Alcaraz save all five break points that he faced. Obviously, the circumstances, Zverev was coming off of a five-set match against Yannick Sinner, not a five-set match against Cam Norrie, but the circumstances not entirely different in this one, although I do think fresh off the offseason, more than a year past his recovery with his ankles, Zverev is certainly fitter, and I think back to peak conditioning that he was prior to that ankle injury. Alcaraz beat Zverev so convincingly in that, U.S. Open matchup, but then, of course, Zverev did beat him in three sets when they faced off in their last matchup, indoor hard courts, albeit, but in the tour finals, a 6-7, 6-3, 6-4 victory for Sasha Zverev. Again, you look for Zverev, signs are pointing in the right direction. Not only does he grind his way to another quarterfinal in typical Zverev fashion, wins over Nori, Klein in five sets, wins over Kopfer and Mickelson elsewhere. You look for Zverev. He's now in his 11th quarterfinal of his career at the major events. He's made the quarterfinals or further in three of his last four majors, which speaks to him returning to form. Now, obviously, wins at the Grand Slam against top 10 opponents, that's been something he's really struggled with. He did beat Sinner at the U.S. Open, but for his career, Alex Vera, 2-14 against top 10 opponents at the majors. He's 8-18 against the top 20. 
18 and 24, which is honestly not that bad of a record. 18 and 24 overall in his career against top five opponents on hard courts. Keep in mind, he lost his first three. So we'll say 18 and 21 overall. If you want to go just since he's turned 20 years old, Sasha Zverev during that time, you take four losses. Again, he's about 17 and 20 overall during that stretch. The more broad point is you look for Sasha Zverev more recently. He's won two of his last three against top five opponents. Wins over Alcaraz, Rublev at the tour finals. Things starting to trend in the right direction more broadly. You look for him against top 20 opponents during the course of his 2023 season, or I suppose we can just say over the course of his last 52 weeks. Zverev 11-14 and 14 overall, but he's won four of his last six against top 20 opponents. Again, the wins over Alcaraz, Rublev, the Tsitsipas win in United Cup. It's not going to count the Cam Nori win, but you could count that and the one he got in Vienna as well as two top 20 victories over Nori. He's starting to return to form. He is the more experienced player at this level, but certainly Alcaraz more success at this level, not just of late, of late, but uh, career versus career straight up. Again, those are the statistics to look at for what it's worth. Last 52 weeks, Alcaraz, one of just three players alongside Djokovic Center to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Zverev, one of nine players to rank top 20 amongst top 100 players in both hold and break percentage. These are two of the six best players in the world. The numbers say as much. The eye tests say as much. And again, the key here is physically, Sasha Zverev has returned to the level we saw from him pre-injury. You look for Zverev as well. He's been on fire on serve to start the year. Not only uh, is he winning 77.7% of his first serve points, which is a career high and would be a top three number on the ATP Tour amongst top 100 players. He's held serve 92.5% of the time, albeit through just 10 matches, but he's played real players in these 10 matches. Tsitsipas, Demonauer, Hercots, Nori. He's holding serve 92.5% of the time so far through this year. And again, yes, he's had to overcome some five-set victories, but that serve, that ability to win free points for himself, that alone is a prerequisite. It is a necessity in facing this Carlos Alcaraz monster and facing this Carlos Alcaraz stat. You got to have a challenge, excuse me. You got to have the first serve to win yourself some free points. He has that. You have to have an underlying physicality that maybe 10 men in the top, in all of the ATP tour have, that ability to play four and a half hours of unrelenting, side to side, ready for the fight, ready to muck things up, ready to play 10-plus shot, ready to dig out of corners, and even when you're caught 12 feet behind the baseline, chase down the drop shot so Alcaraz doesn't get cued and thinks he can get away with them. You have to be ready for that test. I do think Sasha Zverev, even coming off of a five-set match against Nori, I think he's more prepared for that test than he was post-Sinner match, just given, again, he is fresh off the offseason. It's earlier in the season. All of these different things pointing his direction. He also has the backhand, which you need to have out of that ad side corner to deal with the heaviness of the Alcaraz inside-out forehand because that is the single thing Carlos does best. Inside-out, inside-out, and then either inside-in, drop shot, whatever that third shot selection is from that ad side corner. That is the corner and the pattern with which he dominates. And it's a little harder to do that against Sasha Zverev, who drives that backhand so well, not only when he has not only generating his own pace, but if you give him some heavy topspin and some extra pace to just drive through, his ball's going to come back that much harder at you. 
He's comfortable changing direction down the line. He's quick enough to track down the drop shot. He passes well enough off that wing. Now the inside in and forcing him to hit the on-the-run forehand pass, that's where he made a million errors in their U.S. Open match. And obviously the flip side of things when you look at this one is Carlos Alcaraz's path to win any match is abundantly clear. His first serve, first forehand are landing. Unless you're Novak Djokovic, I don't care who else you are. There's not really much you can do about it. Maybe Yannick Sinner because if you're unless you're Alcaraz, Sinner, or uh, excuse me, Djokovic, Sinner, or Medvedev right now. Medvedev with his relentless physicality, the depth he's able to generate again, he's able to be reactive to Alcaraz in the most successful way. Plus, he's got the first serve. Again, I guess what it crystallizes and comes down to is Zverev's got to put together a Medvedev U.S. Open semifinals-like performance. Maybe not quite that good because I don't think Alcaraz has played quite that well, albeit he hasn't quite been tested in that way so far. But that's the sort of, does Zverev have that gear to him? We've seen it in the past. Again, he's beaten Alcaraz in a slam match, albeit Roland Garros, not on a hard court. I mean, I, I, like, I feel like I'm talking in circles if I continue to go any further. The only piece that needs to be reminded to all of you listeners is the thing hanging over all of this. Sasha Zverev gets tight in the biggest moments. It's been the story of every major loss and every major match seemingly he has played in every big moment, in every random five-set moment, albeit with a Lucas Klein, with a Cam Norrie. You saw it second sets, third sets, fourth set, down the home stretch for Zverev. Things got, uh, excuse me, fifth set, things got a little bit shaky in his service games where he starts to float those Barely 100 mile per hour kick serves that still come in hot and high because he's six foot six. But for Carlos Alcaraz to run around, snap through a forehand, now Zverev's on his back foot right away. He's just going to be in trouble. When Zverev is pressured on the scoreboard, his na- natural instinct is not to try and out hit you to move forward to be the aggressor. His natural instinct is to play 12 feet behind the baseline and be reactive and rely on his underlying physicality. We know these stories. We know this story in particular as tennis fans. We've seen it for a decade now. You can't do that against Carlos Alcaraz. If we have learned anything about the 20-year-old Spaniard, you give him an inch, he is going to break his way through for a mile. Zverev has the weapons. I think he's fit enough. This is the matchup he's been waiting for. He knows, again, I got to beat this guy at least once at a major probably in my career, and maybe him and others. In this case, obviously, he'd have to beat Alcaraz, Medvedev, and one of Sinner or Djokovic to, to lift the major crown. Starts here. These are the guys he's got to go through. He knows that challenge. Again, if you watch the Breakpoint episode, detesting as it may be that they chose him as a topic, this is the match he has circled. The Tour Finals was a bounce back, but... Three out of five is a different beast than two out of three last week of the season. I think Alcaraz wins. I think this match goes five. I really do. Because this is make or break for Sasha Zverev. This is the way Rublev Demonauer was a make or break match for both guys. For Sasha Zverev, this is everything. If he can't win this match, the question still remains. All right, yeah, you're back to playing top eight tennis, but you're not a tier one guy. And you're 26, by the way. You turn 27 this year. Like, 
This is the prime of your career. If you're not a tier one guy now, can you ever return to that tier one status? Was he was certainly sniffing pre-injury in 2022, but the landscape has changed. Alcaraz, Sinner have gotten older. Medvedev's level has sustained. Djokovic's level has sustained, perhaps most importantly. If he, again, he, he can get all the two out of three set wins that he wants. Sasha Zverev has won every Masters event there, pretty much there is to win. He's won two tour finals. He's won an Olympic gold medal. There's one thing missing from his mantle. That desperation is why I think this match goes five. That Alcaraz hasn't faced this caliber of player so far in the Australian Open. I think it will take him a second to adjust to that serve, to the relentlessness, the way Sinego had a little bit of success as well. I think Alcaraz gets through in five sets. I think this is going to be a special match. I think that's why, you know, again, that's why I have it number one on my list. Again, Zverev, uh, the slight advantage in the career head-to-head, but you got to see it to believe it, to think he can beat a player of this caliber at a big major. Just that narrative at this point, serving for the match but never getting to match point against Dominic Team, Losing the first set against Rafa in that 2022 French Open uh, semi pre-injuring ankle when Again, that match was his. To get blown out by Alcaraz after beating Sinner. To get blown out by Casper Ruud in last year's French Open. Like, that's just recent memory. That's just 2020s. Like, we don't have to dip back any further than that. I need to see it to believe it. I think everyone in the tennis world does. Alcaraz, a 65.7% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Again, I'll take him to win in five. I think the desperation is what keeps that match extraordinarily close. And again, there are moments in every match where Zverev... Looks like the best tennis player in the world. I need to see him sustain it and get over the finish line, get over that mental hurdle before I believe it. So give me Alcaraz in five. Medvedev versus Hercots is sneaky, equally intriguing as well. Here's why. Medvedev, yes, a 72.8% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Hubi Hercots is three and two against Daniil Medvedev in his career. They're two and two on hard court. Haven't played since 2022, but... Hercats has also beaten Medvedev in a slam. Five-set win in the Wimbledon 2021 round of 16. As I mentioned, for Hubi Hercats, we'll start on his side of the equation. Wins over Kazo in straight sets. I mean, again, wins over young, rising players in this in Menchik and Kazo, but both were playing extraordinarily well. Menchik's got real weapons. He beat Ugo Bear in four sets in the third round as well. It's been a tough draw, like, or at least it hasn't been an easy draw. No cupcakes for Ugo, uh, for Hubi Hercats, except for maybe round one against Omar Jessica. But even that, you're playing in Australian in Australia. Hercats holding 92.9 percent of the time through 10 matches this year. Again, he's played Zverev, Umber, Manorino already this season. He's holding 92.9 percent of the time. That's Isner. Kyrgios, Prime Federer-esque in terms of, again, success behind the serve. I think he's moving well. I think that he shows that renewed confidence we saw from him uh, to end last season in his forehand, swinging through it far more aggressively. And again, the big Hoopy number is you look for him since the start of Wimbledon. Hoopy has a very clearly been a top 10 player. The results say as much. I don't need to talk you through statistics. You can just look at what he has physically been able to accomplish. 30 and 11 during that stretch. Shanghai Masters title, Basel final, Cincinnati semis, Australian Open quarterfinals now, Paris Masters quarterfinals. You look at his record against top 20 opponents during that stretch of time. He's 5-7 and seven overall, but wins over Rublev, Tsitsipas, Umber, and others. 
what's his record against the top 10? Two and five, but again, played a couple of three-set fun matches against Alcaraz in Canada. Cincinnati pushed Djokovic to three at the tour finals. Zverev to three at United Cup. Horkats is making his push to be top 10, top eight in that conversation consistently. Maybe not on clay, but certainly the grass courts, the hard courts, and the key word there to be that guy consistently. Second quarterfinal of his career, his first came at Wimbledon, where, by the way, he beat Roger Federer in Federer's last match on tour, that 2021 Wimbledon quarterfinal. Medvedev in his, uh, excuse me, Hercots in his career, four and seven against top 20 opponents, but has won two of his last three and four out of his last seven overall. He's also, for what it's worth, over his last 52 weeks on hard courts, he's 10 and one against opponents over six foot four. A bunch of those matches have been settled in deciding sets. His only loss to Sasha Zverev, who is certainly Medvedev is in the ilk of, if not the better version of. Horkats is starting to have some success. Again, his weapons always translate, and his forehand is starting to break through against big serves to at least give him a chance to be competitive with all the totality of other things a guy his size with his athleticism can do. On the other side of the equation, though, you have a Daniil Medvedev who has seemingly gotten better as this tournament has progressed. Now, I admit him losing that third set after he served for it against Nuno Borges in the round of 16. That was weird. But after that 3.30 a.m. five-set finish against Rusevori, straight sets against FAA, and then a relatively simple or straight, relatively in control four-set win over Borges, it's his first four matches of the year. Medvedev's finding his bearings, and you look for Daniil Medvedev into his ninth quarterfinal at the majors of his career, where, by the way, he is 7-1 and one overall. He's 7-2 and two over his last 52 weeks against opponents over six foot four. He's 7-6 and six against top 10 opponents in his career at the majors and has won seven of his last 10 overall after losing his first three. By the way, all of those matchups on hard court, wins over Alcaraz, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Rublev at the majors. Daniil Medvedev's that guy at hardcore events. Yeah, the the loss to Korda, uh, excuse me, to Kyrgios at the U.S. Open in 2022 was weird. The loss to Korda to start 2023 was weird. That was the exception, not the rule. Daniil Medvedev has proven that with his continued success uh, over the last 52 weeks on hardcore, and you look for him overall against top 10 opponents on hardcore over his last 52 weeks. He's 10 and 6 with, again, wins over everyone but Djokovic that you would want on this list. And I guess Sinner, who has flipped the script there, but that's a discussion for a different time because his opponent today is Hoopy Hercots. And look, why is Hercots 3-2 and two against Medvedev? Let's talk about the tennis now. It's because the matchup makes a lot of sense for Hoopy Hercots. Medvedev is going to obviously get that return in play with depth, but he is counting on you not to punish that first ball right away. When you serve in volley, if you can do it well, you can put some pressure on Medvedev, force him to get a little slap happy on the return. Certainly when he elects to float things, if he if he does float it at all, Hubi Hercots holding over 90% of the time to start the year, a guy who employs serve and volley, he's going to take that space. He has the wingspan, the levers, as people say, to cover that extra ground, to at least get a racket on the return and play a first volley. And now Medvedev's got to be on the full sprint. And look, there will be moments where Daniil Medvedev pulls off the stunning on the run, two-pass combination, the return, then the plus-one pass. That's what he does. That's why he's a tier-one guy on hard courts. But ask anyone to do that over the course of four hours, and the pile, uh, the errors are going to pile up. And Hubi has the consistency, the relentlessness on serve, 
backhand down the line to take care of the space, forehand down the line to take care of the space. He loves to hit that forehand line, loves to hit that forehand inside out. Drop shots when Medvedev's camping 12 feet behind the baseline as well. Just the short angles. Hubi can find all the spots that Medvedev gives you and has the aggressive mindset to take advantage of those spots. And look, Medvedev's been good. Hasn't played a great match. Uh, the, the FAA match was really solid. I don't think he's played a great match yet at this tournament. I think the level Hubi's playing at to start 2024 is going to require Medvedev to shift things up a gear. And by the way, his pathway to a title, Hercots, one of Zverev or Alcaraz, and then probably one of Djokovic or Sinner. That's a brutal path for title number two as well. This bottom of the half of the draw with the way things have shook out are as hard as they are, are as hard as they could have possibly been on paper. Starts here for Medvedev. He can shake off the first four matches. They really don't mean anything. This is where his tournament begins. And David Kane made this point so aptly on the men's draw. This is where the tournament begins for all of these guys. Top six seeds make the quarterfinals for the first time at the Australian Open in men's singles in the open era. It speaks to the fact that expectations were met. I predicted seven of eight quarterfinalists correctly on the men's side. If I can guess it, the world can guess it. These matchups are fascinating. This is where the men's draw begins. That's why they're the headlines. Buckle up. It's going to be a really fun day 11. I am going to bet on Daniil Medvedev to turn things on. He was my pre-tournament pick before I switched. Pre-tournament. Go listen to the draw preview. That was an allusion to that where I said, I'm going to pick Medvedev to win the final. And I said, wait, he has to go through Hercots. Zverev or Alcaraz, and I picked Alcaraz, and then he's going to get through Djokovic. No, no, no. That's not happening. Give me Djokovic. But I just think Medvedev's going to find the gear. I'm going to bet on him to show it, even though he's yet to this season. But man, Hercats is a dangerous opponent who does all the things you need to do to beat Medvedev. So I'm going to take Medvedev to win in a tightly contested four, but a four-set win that's thorough enough to say, hey, this guy is playing well enough now to go out and maybe win this major those are the men's matches. Let's shift gears now, talk about the women's side of things. And look again, I am compelled by these semifinals. On paper, we're certainly going to learn some new things. And let's start with the headline of the two matchups, in my opinion, Yastremska versus Naskova. Second career match, uh, excuse me, first career matchup between the two. Uh, you look, obviously, Linda Naskova did the seemingly impossible. She beat Iga Shviantek in three sets in a major to advance to her first second week. She then gets a withdraw after Alina Svitolina messes up her back in warm-up early in the or in that first game of the match and sadly is forced to pull out immediately. And look again, that's really disappointing because that would have been a really fun contrast of styles, a great test for the young Czech early in her career. It was the gift gift she needed because after that physical, not only physically but mentally draining matchup against a world number one after she, by the way, had already beaten Boshkova in the first week, the 31st seed. It was just a, an extra day, an extra two days really of mental, physical rest, preparation for the onslaught of power tennis she's about to face. Again, first career had to match up between these two. They've both had really impressive paths. Naskova wins over Bozhkova, Sviantek, Svitolina to get here. Yastremska not only comes through qualifying, gets two three-set wins there. She gets wins over Vondrosova, Navarro, and Azarenka. Those are three top 25 players coming out of this first month of the season. Yastremska beats all of them. The fact that the round of 16 match against Azarenka was 
pretty clearly on her terms, even though that match was extraordinarily close. Azarenka had the big break lead, obviously, to start the second set, but everything was at Yastrzemska's win- uh, rhythm. When she wanted to rip line, get Azarenka stretched, she was the one more comfortable doing that. Now, of course, there were times when Azarenka would find her spots, but it was Yastrzemska more frequently disrupting Azarenka than vice versa, and that speaks to the sort of athlete she is, the sort of power tennis she's playing. Again, all four of her wins have been top 50 wins here in this Australian Open main draw, and she's dropped only one set along the way as well. Just This is a return to form for the 23-year-old who, of course, was ranked as high as 21 in the rankings back in 2020 prior to all the different controversies she has been a part of since for what it's worth, she's 19-10 and 10 in her career at the tour level against players younger than her. By the way, she's faced two players younger than her, in or three now, in Gracheva, Navarro, and Noskova, all in this main draw. That just is a little interesting tidbit for her. Watching her power tennis overwhelm, even in Azarenka playing that well, that's really concerning if you're 19-year-old Linda Noskova. But look, the argument for Noskova, she's the steadier of the two, and she just beat the world number one. And this is a former Junior Slam champion, up to a new career high, number 29 in the live rankings. For what it's worth, the Estremska up 50 spots to number 43 in the live rankings as a result of making this quarterfinal. By the way, five of the eight remaining players uh, amongst our top 11 women in the world under the age of 23. The ones missing, Sviantek, Navarro, Potapova, Andriva, Fernandez, and Wang Xinyu. That's a good group of players, uh, obviously, to age well and, dare I say, carry us through this 2020s. Neskova's obviously the steadier of the two. Yastremska is both the more explosive, not just outward power, but I think she's a more explosive mover as well. I tr- her first step, a little bit more explosive. Neskova, again, a better anticipator, certainly the steadier of the two, holds her ground on the on the baseline better on the return of serve, far more consistent when striking the term of serve. Again, Yastremska the more volatile, but... She'll rip more winners in this match. What Yastrzemska do we see show up? Does the bubble burst? Is this a Radakanu-esque moment where it all just falls into line and Yastrzemska plays her perfect tennis for the course of 10 straight matches and we get another qualifier winning a major here to kick off 2024? I don't think I'm ready to go there. I'm going to take the player who's had the two days off. I'm going to take Linda Neskova to right the ship to just be the steadier of this two in this moment. I don't think she's going to be overwhelmed by the round of play. I don't think she's going to blink. Neskova, 74.7% favorite, by the way, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. I'm going to ride with Jeff Sackman on this one. Give me Neskova, 7-5-6-1. But again, I I think this is a really fun match. Chin Wen versus Kalinskaya could be fun. Again, career head-to-head matchup number two. Kalinskaya 1-0. Came back in February 2022. Three-set win in Guadalajara for Kalinskaya. Chin Wen, the highest-ranked player remaining in the top half of the draw. She's a 72.2% favorite to win this match, according to Tennis Abstract. She dropped two sets on her way here. Pushed to a third-set breaker in the third round against Wang Yafan, but relatively easy draw, considering she hasn't faced a seed yet. Wins over Doden, Wang Yafan, Katie Bolter, and Ashlyn Kruger. The big stat since July of 2023, again, post-Wimbledon, Chin Wen, 26-7 overall. She's 30-3 and against opponents ranked outside the top 20 over her last 52 weeks and hasn't lost a match to an opponent outside the top 20 since the end of Wimbledon. Beating who you're supposed to beat by ranking, I say that with quotation marks put up on my fingers, which you can't see, but they were really well done. 
Beating who you're supposed to beat, I know this sounds simple, tap the ball game. I talk about the two-thirds rule all the time. If you are making quarterfinals, you are holding or continuing to progress up the rankings. Obviously, the stage of those quarterfinals have to progress the higher you get up, but you're sustaining or elevating yourself in the rankings. And at a minimum, that is what Chin Wen has done in every event she has played. Back-to-back quarterfinals now for her. Her first two at the majors, U.S. Open, this Australian Open. Her first serve over since the end of Wimbledon. Top 10 in hold percentage amongst top 100 players on the WTA Tour. How fluidly she moves in and out of corner. The action on her rally ball. She just overwhelms lesser opponents. If you can't match her athleticism, if you don't have a weapon to disrupt her rhythm, as we've seen, 30-3 and three against top uh, opponents ranked outside the top 20 over her last 52 weeks, she is just straight up going to beat you because the serve, the weapons, the physicality, they are that explosive. And from a narrative arc, this feels right, right? Like the draw opens up for her, the 21-year-old who made this clear ascension at the end of the year, who always seems to play Iga particularly tough. She t- capitalizes on the draw opening, makes this big slam breakthrough. Now she's a top 10 player or top 8 player for the rest of our lives or the rest of her tennis life. That's certainly the narrative, but look, Kalinskaya is going to have a say. The 25-year-old in her first career uh, major quarterfinal, Kalinskaya, with the result up to a new career high. 37 is the 25-year-old in the live ranking. She's 17-3 and three since the end of October. Wins the Midland 125, finals Tampico 125, qualifies, reaches round of 16 with a win over Krechikova in Adelaide. Now quarterfinals here in Australia. 7-13 and 13 in her career against top 20 opponents, but, you know, again, has beaten the likes of an Ostapenko, a Krechikova, a Halep. Now you look for her in her career at the, at the majors. She's 1-4 against top 20 opponents. Uh, her one win against Sloane Stephens, 2019 U.S. Open. You want to go her record against top 50 opponents. She's 5-7, and seven, but three of those five wins have come against Paulini, Stevens, Roos in this Australian Open Anna Kellenskaya is pretty good at everything. Drives the ball pretty well off both wings. Moves pretty well in and out of corners. Serve pretty solid pace. Hits her spots pretty well. Pretty comfortable volleyer. She is solid all the way around. Chin Wen at her best is better than every, at everything. Chin Wen is just the more dynamic of the two. That's why Chin Wen is the significant and the more experienced, I suppose, at this level, even though there's an age gap. Chin Wen, 72.2% favorite. I've been a big believer in the 21-year-old from China's game from the get-go. There's no reason for me to feel to stop now. Give me Chin Wen to advance in straight sets. Again, Kalinskaya is good at everything, but the pace Chin Wen brings, I just think, overwhelms everything Kalinskaya tries to do. And so give me Chin Wen, straight sets to advance. Boy, her versus Noskova. That is like the ultimate Cracked Rackets podcast semifinals. So if that's the case, we'll get excited. If it's not, we're going to get excited as well. Again, all of our Australian Open content moving forward, moving over to the Mini Break podcast as we will be using this platform to preview the ceremonial start to the 2024 college tennis season, the ITA kickoff weekend. Of course, if you've missed out on anything today, you can go catch up right now over on that Mini Break podcast feed. Episodes now available wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as videos, a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in day out, making all of our content possible. Uh, with all that said, 
for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope all of you enjoyed day number 11 of the 2024 Australian Open. But for now, you know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.